invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to that 2 Corinthians chapter 9 passage we read a little earlier. Again, if you're using the Red Pew Bible, it's page 968. We're going to talk about giving today, our last time in our two-part series. And I want to start off with a statement, giving is all about God. In our particular passages on these two chapters in 2 Corinthians, it's particularly all about God's grace, God's grace in us first and God's grace through us as a result. In fact, these two chapters are actually bracketed or bookended by that very phrase, the grace of God. You can see it for yourself if you're looking at the text with me. Chapter 8, verse 1 talks about the, the phrases there, the grace of God. If you go to the very end of this section in chapter 9... In verse 14, again, Paul ends with the grace of God because what he wants us to catch on to and understand is in these two chapters, he wants us as believers and followers of Jesus to see what it means for the grace of God to work its way into your life, and particularly in the area of how we give. See, in these two chapters, God, his name God, is mentioned 14 different times, 10 times, or I should say 10 times, 7 out of the 10 times are in chapter 9, our chapter. So this is a God-soaked, God-saturated text about giving. And I say that to say this, that giving is not, hear me this morning, giving is not primarily about the amount of money in your life, it's primarily about the amount of God in your life. See, either money will control God in your life, or God will control the money in your life. And so Paul brackets it and says to us, giving is all about God. And he also wants us to know, with an overview of this passage, he wants to say it to us four or five different times, that when your money is all about God, then here's what happens. It is a form of worship to God, and he tells us that by using a little phrase repeatedly that means praise. And the little phrase is thanksgiving to God or be thanks to God. And look at chapter 8, verse 16. He says, but thanks be to God. He also says it at the end of our text in chapter 9 and verse 15. Again, same phrase, thanks be to God. In between this thanksgiving sandwich, if I can say, He uses it two other times. In chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, he says, Thanksgiving be to God. Why? Because when you give by grace, when you are a God-centered giving, God loves it. You know why? Because more and more thanks belongs to him and it's given to him. People are thanking him for what he's done for them. You're thanking him for how, how you can give. Others are thanking, for receive, thanking him for receiving it. See, thanks be to God. That's what we're desiring here today. We're desiring to have a church that's filled with God-centered, grace-filled believers who give more worship and praise to God by the way that they use their money and the way that God blesses them. So the question is, of course, are you a God-centered giver? Let me say it to you this way. Is it obvious? Is it obvious in the way that you give that God's grace is at work in your life? Does your giving communicate that God controls your money and not your money controlling God? See, does your giving produce thanksgiving to God? Are other people around you thanking God for how he's met their needs because you have given 
See, how are you making much of him? Because every time you give to the church and every time you give to the needs of others, we are offering thanksgiving and praise to God. We are showcasing and displaying his grace. So let me tell you in one sentence what I'm trying to go after today, and that is this. God-centered givers are God-like givers. Let me say it again. God-centered givers are God-like givers. And Paul's going to show us and the Corinthians in this text, what God giving, God-like givers are connected to two things. All right, we're going to unpack them, just two, one at a time. The first one you can see if you look at your Bible in verses 6 and 7. See, God-centered givers who are like him in their giving are connected to God's heart. That's the first one. Look at verses 6 and 7. It reads, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Listen to the next verse. Each one, that means every individual in this place today, if you follow Jesus, you have to consider this personally. Each one must give as he has, ready, decided in his heart. In the Greek word heart is cardia, which we get cardiovascular, about heart. And the thing that cardia was most known for in the ancient Near Eastern world was that every major city had a street that ran right through the middle of town. If you go on the Israel trip, you're going to go to some archaeological digs of cities, and they're going to show you the cardia. The cardia was the road that ran right down the heart of the city. We would call it today Main Street. But they're, they're called, they called it cardia. See, here's what Paul's saying right off the bat. These first two verses are a spiritual EKG of your spiritual heart condition when it comes to giving before God. God wants to know what your true treasure is. These two verses to the Corinthians are equal to Jesus' two verses to his audience on the Sermon on the Mount when he said this. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, your treasure follows your heart, and your heart follows your treasure. And Paul wants them to know right off the bat in this paragraph, hey, take a heart exam. Take a look, not on the outside at what's in your hand first, but what's on the inside, what's on your heart first. He wants you to know, first of all, listen, giving is primarily about your heart. And here's the choices your heart have to give. Here's what you have this morning. It's not whether you will give or not give. Notice that's not what he's talking about because for Paul, he is assuming in his life that Christians will give. But how they give is another story. And he wants you to say, take a look at your heart this morning individually. Take a look at your heart, believers. Are you, what kind of heart do you have? One that gives sparingly, verse 6, or bountifully? Because whether you give sparingly or bountifully is an indication of your heart condition. That's why it's a spiritual EKG. See, we choose that. We choose sparingly or bountifully. Sparingly means in a limited way, giving as little as I can. Bountifully means the opposite. And actually, it's the word euagia, which means in Greek, blessings. Abundance. So we either have a heart that says, God, I give sparingly. I don't do that much. I try to do as little as I can. Or am I the kind of person who has a heart like God's, who gives bountifully? God, I want to give as much as I can. See, 
That is whether you're going to get a blessing, and that's your main reason you give, or whether you're going to give a blessing. So what does it look like? I love this part. What does it look like when someone gives like God, when they give bountifully? Well, their heart gets connected to God's heart. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Walker? What does that look like? He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Hear this. For Paul, primarily, giving is not first and foremost about having. It's about being. See, you think as the pastor, I'm concerned about how much you give. I'm way more concerned about who you are becoming Because here's what Paul says. Before you have your hand open to God and others, you must have your heart open to God and others. And we often miss that. See, Paul says, here's the first thing about giving. If you want to give like God, you have to have his heart. And if you're here this morning, you say, oh, Pastor Walker, it's so hard for me to give. I have this and I have this and I have this. See, here's what he says. Ask yourself, is my heart connected to his heart? The Corinthians had a sparingly heart. Paul had to prod them and push them and provoke them to give. But the Macedonians, had a, they kept giving and giving until it was actually hurting themselves. And they gave more, see, because they had a bountiful heart. And that's what he's wanting to ask this morning. He wants to ask, see, not how much you're giving and what did you give last year and what was the number. No, he wants to say this. What's going on in your heart this morning? Are you worried about the certain amount you're giving or the kind of person that you are becoming? And that's why he says you got to decide it in your heart. Here's what you do. Decide. And it's a great Greek word. It means this, to premeditate. It means to predetermine. It means to think about it in advance. Choose beforehand. It's the same word used in the Septuagint in, in, in the Old Testament when God chose Israel. And that's the word, chose them, decided on them. It says he didn't decide on them because they were the biggest nation. He didn't decide on them for they were the best people. He didn't look down the corridors of time and said, well, if I save them, then they're really going to give me glory. He didn't decide. It was not based on any of that. He chose beforehand to do his love, give his love to them just because he loved them. It wasn't based on circumstances. It wasn't based on what they could offer. See, God says this this morning. You want to know what it looks like to be a God-like giver? You want to know if you have a kind of heart that God has? He says, then premeditate it. When you give, decide ahead of time that you're going to give and say, God, I'm going to give what you deserve. God, I'm going to give to you, and it doesn't matter what my circumstances are. God, my circumstances may be so good sometimes, and I got this bonus, and I have all this money. Sometimes they may be bad, but it's not based on my circumstances. And, God, it's not based on... If I give you this, what are you going to give me back? God says, see, I want you to decide ahead of time. It's not based on any of those externals. It's based on this. My heart connected to your heart, he says. So decide ahead of time, and you're going to do it God-like in your giving. He says, let me tell you what it looks like when you're not. He says, see, there are two negative descriptions and one positive one. Look at verse 7. He says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Negative. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Not reluctantly. You know, it's the word in the Greek. It means this. You're gonna, it means 
to sorrow and be sad. <laughs> you ever give your money in the plate? I kind of hurt. You made me give your money. He says, it, sometimes it makes you sad. It's the opposite word of 2 Corinthians 8, 12, which is readiness. This is reluctance. He says, but you ought to give ready, and it means earnestly. It means you can't wait to give. Now, don't answer out loud. Raise your hand. How many of you came this morning and said this? Honey, we got to go to church today because I cannot wait to give. Probably not too many of us. Paul says... We ought to be excited to give. Why? Because we're giving out of a heart like God's because God is always excited to give. Have you ever heard someone say the old adage, give until it hurts? Well, see, if you are a God-like giver and you give like he does, there are times when it will hurt on the outside and it'll affect your lifestyle. But as a God-like giver, it should never hurt on the inside. And that's what the word reluctance means. It means that there's a pain, pain on the inside that denotes that there is something seriously wrong. About 14 or 15 years ago, I was in the pulpit. I made some announcements. I wasn't preaching that day. And I was really sick. I just didn't know how sick. And so as soon as I, done, I was done making the announcements, I walked out that door. My son, Will, was sitting there. I said, come on. So I said, I got to go home. I'm really sick. I think you're going to have to take me to the hospital. Um, before I came to church that day, I, sorry to say this, I threw up over and over again. And you know when you get sick, you throw up and you're good for a while? Not me. I threw up and threw up and kept throwing up. And I stopped just to come to church. And I was here, and I had to go home and do it again. And I said, oh, that's not normal. So I went there, and he took me to the hospital. I just laid in the back seat in a ball. I, I, couldn't move. I was in so much pain, I couldn't believe it. So I got to the hospital. And I had to have, Will had to, care, to help me go into the hospital. He put me in a wheelchair, and I didn't move. I, and, and they finally came, and the doctor said, not a doctor, one of the nurses or something, said, oh, okay, we're going to look at you in just a little bit. I go, a little bit? Four hours later, I thought I was going to die. So they finally got the, in there, and so he takes me in the room, and he takes his hand, and he, he pushes like prods like that, and I thought I was going to scream. It was so awful. And he goes, does that hurt? I go, are you serious? <laughs> of, what do you, that hurt? Look at me. Does it look like it's good? But he kept pressing and prodding and pushing, and he says, oh, you have something seriously wrong. I go, and I'm paying you for this. <laughs> of course I have something seriously wrong. Well, I found out my appendix was about to rupture. Later on, he showed me a picture. I had gangrene all over it. it was, he said it was one of the worst ones he'd ever seen. I go, well, thank you. <laughs> but you know what? When he pushed and prodded on me on the inside, and it was in so much pain, he said, there's something seriously wrong. Can I tell you this? If God is pushing and prodding on your heart this morning... And he's pushing and prodding you about your giving. And see, and you're in pain on the inside. It causes you pain. He says, oh, you know what? Look at your life. Look how I've blessed you. Look what I've done for you for Jesus. And look at all you. And he says, oh, God, I know, but look. See, he pushes on you and, and, you're, and it aches inside. See, there's a serious problem, Paul says, on the inside. If you are giving reluctantly, if it causes you pain, see, you don't, you don't have, you're not connected to God's heart as you ought to be. See, here's what he says. You ought to be a cheerful giver. But he says, before I get to that, 
Don't give reluctantly. And then he says this, number two, don't give under compulsion. It literally means don't give out of necessity. Don't give because you're forced to. Don't give because you've been coerced. Don't give because you have to. My wife and I celebrated a few days ago our 36th anniversary. She deserves an offering probably. But imagine on our 36th anniversary, if I went up to my wife and I said, hey, you know what? I got this box of chocolates and I got you a really nice card and I got you these two presents. Here you are. I hope you're happy because it's, it's your, our anniversary and I, I know we've been married, so I really felt I had to do this. That's romantic, isn't it? I said, oh, okay, honey. I, yeah, I did say for better or for worse and, you know, we are married. You would say, Pastor Walker, nobody would do that. Why? Because there's no love in that. I know. There isn't, is there? Listen to how Jesus loved you. Out of his own lips. Ready? John 10, 18. He says, no one takes my life from me. Compulsion. See, I wasn't forced, Jesus says, to die on the cross. I wasn't coerced. The Father in heaven didn't twist my arm and say, come on, no one else can do it. You got to go. No, he said, no one takes my life. I lay it down of myself. He says, I want to give my life. I want to die on the cross. Do you see what it is when we feel God, okay, okay, okay. I know, God, this is my life is yours and you died for me. Okay, I gave my 10% today. Are you happy? Do you see what that is? See, that's not God's heart. And Paul says, if you give like that, all right, write out the check. Okay, here you go, God. Here's the 10%. Here's what you think. Okay. That's not love. That's necessity. That's compulsion. It's not what God wants. See, God says, I don't just want your money. I want you. Do you see what he's saying? I want your heart. I want you. I want the person that I want to make you into. And see, money and what you give in the offering is an expression of that. It's an expression of how your heart is connected to God or not. So he says two negatives, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. He says, and here's why God doesn't want you to give that way. Ready? Four. You see the little word for? For because God loves, he loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful is the Greek word we get the English word hilarious from. And I've heard people tell me, Pastor Walker, so God wants me to give 10% of my gross income. And then on top of that, he wants me to give offerings above that to people who are in need. Yes. And they go, that's hilarious. I go, exactly. It is hilarious. God says you ought to see it that way. It ought to make your heart happy, not have a hurt heart, but a happy part. So here's what he's saying. You want to have God's heart? It doesn't look like this. It doesn't look this. It looks like this. The opposite of reluctance, the opposite of compulsion. He says it looks like a cheerful heart. A cheerful heart on your part gives a cheerful heart to God on his part. See, God loves it. Do you know how few times in Scripture, read the Bible for yourself, you know how few times in Scripture where it actually spells out specifically what God himself loves? 
It's not like we throw it around, I love pizza, I love Taco Bell, or whatever it is. God doesn't throw it around like that. But God says this, you want to know my heart? You know what really makes me go, he says? I love it when my people see what I have done for them and have the same kind of heart that I have when they give. See, that's what he wants us to do. That's, see, he doesn't want you to do it just out of obedience. He doesn't want you to do as little as possible. He doesn't want you to feel guilt. Oh, God, I got to give because if not, you're going to flatten my tire this week. No, he wants you to do it cheerfully because when you do, he says, I love it. See, every single week you come to church, you have an opportunity with your happy heart to make God's heart happy because you love him. You love him and you love to give because they go together. They're connected. And the question is, what controls your heart? And I'd even take time this morning to say, if your heart's not connected to God, you know it's connected to something else. You know that. It's never unconnected. So the question is, is your heart connected to God? And is it obvious that's true by the way that you give? Because God-centered givers are God-like givers. And how do you know? Because, first thing, they're connected to God's heart. Their heart's connected to God's heart. But here's the second one. If you are a God-centered, God-like giver, not only will your heart be connected to his heart, but your hands will be connected to his hands. Look at verses 7 and 8. And 9, actually. It says... Verses 8 and 9, let me read it. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. See, in chapter 8, Paul says that your grace comes from God, your giving comes from God's grace. In chapter 9, he says your giving comes from God's love. And he goes on to say your giving comes from God's power. Do you see? It's all about God. It's you connecting to his grace. It's you connecting to his love. It's you connecting to his power. Because you cannot give, nor will you ever give away, that makes God's heart happy unless you are becoming like him. So he says it's God's power. See, we will never understand God's hand and how he gives until we first understand his heart. And everyone is in one of these conditions. See, we either try to understand God's hand before we understand his heart. We want to see God's hand without God's heart. See, we're not trying to become a certain person, but God, give me this. God, hey, would you answer this prayer? God, would you help me financially? But we're not interested in his heart. We just want his hand. He says it's a package deal. So sometimes we want his hand before his heart, without his heart. But the best way is say, God, I want your hand with your heart. So before you say, God, hey, should I be really giving 10% and maybe more to other people? You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. See, that's not the question God wants you to ask first and foremost. Here's what he wants. What kind of heart do you want to have? Because my hands and my heart, God says, are connected but are they connected to yours? He says, well, you say, oh, everybody says, I don't know if I could give like that. That would be hard. It would be difficult. It might even be tight, rough. How would I ever have the ability to do so? Well, he says, let me tell you. And then he rockets our lives, really, with three words. He says, that will change your giving and your life if you get a hold of them. Verse 8 starts with this. 
and God is able. H.B. Charles says those are shouting material. It really is. God is able. Say it in your hearts. God is able. Daniel and his three friends, actually his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are before the fiery furnace. And they're going to give, not money, their lives. And you know what gives them the strength? When they stand before Nebuchadnezzar, the number one powerful man in the world, before a fiery furnace, he is seven times hotter. You know what he says? I don't know if God will deliver us, Nebuchadnezzar, but our God is able. He can. When you stand before an impossible situation, here's what they say, these three guys. I don't know if he will, but I know that he can. Because you know what I know about his hand? It's strong. It's strong. Amaziah had given a hundred talents of gold. That is like buckets and buckets of gold. You can't even imagine millions, if not billions of dollars. He had given it to fight a battle and had given it to Israel, the, the, the southern kingdom, and, and he didn't know where to turn now because God said, don't go to war with them. He goes, what am I going to do? I'm out of all of this money. And here's what the prophet says to him. The Lord is able to give you much more than that. God is able to give you more. You think that you can outgive God? You'd be terribly wrong. God is able. God is able, Ephesians 3.20 says, now unto him who is able... He's able to answer your prayer. How? Exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. See, God is not limited whatsoever. You and I are. How able is he? Well, he can do what you can think and you can dream and he can do even more than that. More than that. Hebrews 7.25 says he is able to save you. He is able to save you to the uttermost. He can overcome any problem, any sin in your life and present you to God. In fact, Jude says in verse 24, Now unto him who is able to keep you stumbling from stumbling and present you faultless before the throne. You look at your life this morning and mine. Look how sinful we are. Do you know that that is no barrier or hindrance to God? That his grace is so powerful to transform your life if you would give your life to him. That he can take your life and present you someday in heaven before God as if you had never sinned. That's power. And let me tell you this, my friends. If he can do that on the greatest issues of all, your eternal life, could he not do that on the smaller things? Like your giving and your money? Did you notice in the text? Did you notice all the superlatives? I love this. He uses a form of the word all five times in a row. All, all. He just can't say it enough. He says all grace, all sufficiency, all things, all times. It says everything in the text, but it's really the same word. All good works. See, Paul wants you to know well, what is his ability looks like. How able is he? Well, just put all in front of everything you can think of. Chris and I, my dad and my mom, paid for our honeymoon 36 years ago to go to Alcapuco. I'd never been there. I had actually been there one other time before with my family, but I went there. And I don't know if you've ever stayed there. You should probably only go and someone else is paying like I did. <laughs> but it's all-inclusive. Oh, if you ever get a chance and you get a lot of money, you should go once time in your life. All your meals are included. There were seven restaurants in this whole place, this resort. We could go to any of them and it would all be part of the price. All the drinks you wanted, that was unlimited Mountain Dew. Can you imagine all the stuff in your room, all the activities, the entertainment, 
water sport, all the things you wanted, all the airport transfers to get you back and forth to the hotel, all the Wi-Fi. They didn't have that back then, but if they would today, the gratuity, the tips, all those things, everything, was, it's all inclusive. Everything you need. Can I tell you this? God's ability and power and grace, it's all inclusive. All inclusive. No matter what you need, no matter where you need it, no matter when you need it, no matter what you need. See, God can meet your needs. Not like they did at a resort. That wasn't a need. That was a desire. No, he can meet all of your needs. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What do you mean, Pastor Walker? Well, here's what I mean. If you give to him and you're faithful, he can give you everything you need in a recession, in a bad economy, when you're standing in the unemployment line figuratively, when you have experienced a financial reversal, when unexpected bills come your way. See, he can take care of your needs. Why? Because his power and ability and grace are all inclusive. All of them. All the time, he says, and if that isn't enough to convince you, five all words in a row, well, he has to, he's going to say a little bit more. He's going to st- keep packing it up. He's going to keep stacking up the arguments. So he uses the word abound two more times. God is able to make you abound so that you can abound in every good work. Now, hear me, listen, listen, listen. This is important in our day. God doesn't make your life abound so you can be prosperous. He makes your life abound so you can be generous. Because there's a lot of heresy going around here that God wants to make you, you know, prosperous so you can drive this car and have this house and have all this money. Can I tell you this? There's a Greek word for that. Hogwash. God doesn't make you rich so that you can keep it. In fact, he's never promised to make you rich at all. But the Bible says in Proverbs that he's never seen the righteous begging bread. In other words, God will decide. We can't tell God what to do and how to do it and what kind of blessing to give. But here's what God says we'll do. See, I'm going to take care of you. So here's your motto. Ready? Abundance for others, enough for me. That's what Paul's saying. Abundance for others, enough for me. And the only way that you can contemplate that as a lifestyle, which seems for the most people would be absolutely crazy, But if you believe all that God can do, do you believe he's able? See, do you know who he is? Do you know what his ability is like? He said, listen, what is this every good work? He says, I'm going to abound in your life so you can abound in every good work. What is it? Well, God tells you what it is. Because remember the, the pattern? We have hearts connected to God's hearts. And now we want God, our hands connected to God's hands. Well, what are God's hands doing? Well, the verse 9 is a quotation of Psalm 112.9, and it is a description of how God gives. The Bible says in verse number 9, he's distributed freely. See what he says? God gives freely. And what does he do when God gives? Well, he gives to people who are poor. He gives to the poor people. He meets the needs. God says abundance for others. That's how he gives. Can I say one more thing? He gives to the poor, but what does he give out of? Well, the Bible says his righteousness endures forever. Do you see the pattern that Paul's driving that ought to be true of us and the Corinthians? See, God is righteous 
and therefore he gives to the poor. Do you see that? Who God is drives what God does. Let me say it again. Who God is drives what God does. So God is a righteous God. God is a holy God. And therefore, out of who he is, his being flows his doing. If you leave here this morning and you think, Pastor Walker, he just wants me to give 10% and give more offerings to help people, you'd be wrong. That is what you will do without me telling you if you become the kind of person who wants to be like God. See, God wants you to know, this is what I want you to become. I want you to become a person who is like me, who gives generously and even sacrificially because it is who you have become. So out of your righteousness, you have been made right with God. He says, because you've been made right with me, because my son came and died for you and shed his blood, because he has given you the righteousness that you have, out of that relationship of love, I want it to overflow in giving to the church and to giving to the needs of others around you. See, that's what he wants. That's what the good works are. We are not saved by good works. I want you to notice today that if you give God 10% and above that to others, that does not get you to heaven. You cannot earn or merit God's favor by giving. But if you have been given his favor by his grace, you will do that. You will give. You can't help it. Because when your heart is connected to his heart, your hand will be connected to his hand. Have you ever heard of porch pirates? Have you heard of it? Videos around America on people's porch through that ring system, they are catching people who people have sent packages to other people, really important, needy things intended for other people. And other people, when no one's looking, are going up on the porch and they're stealing it. They're taking it and they've dubbed them porch pirates. Taking things that someone else intended for another person in need and keeping them for themselves as if they were theirs. Hmm. Are we porch pirates? You see, maybe God has given you things that were intended for others and you've kept them for yourselves as if somehow they were really yours to begin with. See, God's not looking for porch pirates because that's a certain kind of person he doesn't want you to become. He's working for people who have been changed by his grace. Grace in and grace out. That's what he's looking for. People who are moved by 9.15 in our text. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, Jesus. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're not going to give a public invitation today. But over these last two weeks, perhaps you've been here for both, perhaps just the one. But I would like to ask a question and you answer it in your hearts before we close. What are your heart and hands connected to? Are they connected to the American dream? Prosperity, 
a big and better philosophy or they connected to God's heart. See, what I'm asking this morning is what kind of person are you becoming? And the scripture teaches that money is a good indicator of that. I believe honestly that everyone in this room, if their heart and hand was connected to God's, we would never have to worry about doing ministry locally or globally because we'd be ready to do it and able to. And can I tell you this, no matter what your doubts are this morning, can I remind you, God is able. He's able. Much more than that he can do. If you're doubting him this morning, trust him. Trust him for his grace. And God can use you in a magnificent way not only to make his heart happy, but the hearts of others as well. Father, we don't often speak of giving here at Faith Baptist Church, but the beginning of 2023 in a difficult economy, it is a good message for us to hear. And it is easy in such a difficult time to fret and become anxious and worried about the future and about if we'll be able to do this or that. But we put our eyes on you. We turn to you, God of all grace, all grace. God who is able, and the God who was able for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Amaziah, and for so many others in Scripture, is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You are our God, and we believe you are able. And God, we pray today by your grace that you'd reconnect our hearts and our hands to yours that we might have open hearts and hands to give to your people, to the church, and to give to others around us. May we have your heart because we are becoming more like you. Be glorified in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.